Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf, and, uh, well, <laughs> a lot of things been going on this past week in the world of baseball, and uh, I have some unusual stories uh, to share with you this morning. Some, obviously, as always, I'm eager to get your thoughts and comments as well. Um, well, at the top of the list, uh, I will tell you that, uh, well, let me ask you this. What do you think it's like for a high school baseball coach to have one of his former players be selected in Major League Baseball's free agent draft? I mean, having a kid drafted is pretty cool, right? (laughs) Well, what if your former player was drafted as the top player in the nation? That's right, chosen number one in the very first round. Can you even imagine what that's like? Well, as you, you may have heard, Henry Davis, out of the University of Louisville, was indeed the top draft choice this past week in Major League Baseball's free agent draft. He's a big and solid catcher. Henry hits for a top average. He hits with power. He's great defensively. He runs well. In short, he has all the tools. And he's also a proud graduate of Fox Lane High School in Bedford, New York, where he was coached by Matt Hillis, who was one of the most successful high school coaches in our area. And Matt's been the head coach at Fox Lane for 20 years. And during his tenure, his teams have won two sectional titles, two New York State regional championships, plus 12 league championships. He sent more than 150 of his high school players on to play in college. And one of his former players, Darren Mastriani, made it all the way to the bigs with the Twins and the Blue Jays. But Henry Davis, who played for Coach Hillis at Fox Lane, well, first pick overall. All-American catcher at the University of Louisville after he finished at Fox Lane. And Matt Hillis joins me this morning. And of course, friends, we'll take your calls uh, at 1-877-337-6666. Hey, Matt, good morning. Ah, well, apparently we're having some technical issues in trying to track down Matt. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what the concern is, but uh, we'll, we'll try to get him. In the meanwhile, let me just tell you a little about this. I mean, this is this is such an extraordinary situation with Matt. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to come back to him when we get him on. But in the meantime, let me let me skip you. Uh, do we have him, Ed? <laughs> Matt, you there? I'm there, Rick. What happened? I apologize. Sorry. Well, Matt, are you, uh, unfortunately, we have, it sort of kick, kicks in and kicks out. Are you there on, on your phone now? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, there you go. Okay, all right, well, this, 
that. <laughs> you are tough to track down. I realize uh, you know you're you're very popular these days. Everybody wants to go and uh, you know talk to Matt Hills. Matt, how are you? Sure, I'm doing great, my man. How about you still? I'm doing just fine. I, I can't, as I said a few minutes ago, this is just uh, thrilling uh, to have one of your players to be drafted is something special. But be number one in the country—that's extraordinary. Uh, talk. Let's talk about Henry for a second. I mean, did, mm-hmm. did, when you had him, and I gather he played. Uh, was he as an eighth grader? He made the varsity at Fox Lane. So, as an eighth grader, he was on our radar. We didn't think he was quite ready for varsity yet. But as a made it, and he started as a freshman, played every single game, and did that for all four years. Okay. Now, so when you. And he was a freshman, sophomore, whatever. Did you have the sense? And look, you've coached a lot of players who have been top top players over the years, Matt. Did you have a sense this kid was going to be something special? Well, as I've said in a couple interviews so far, I mean, the, he had the grip strength of a man as a freshman. Obviously, he wasn't as physically mature as juniors and seniors that you might see on varsity baseball teams. Mm-hmm. But the grip strength was there. The arm strength was pretty much off the charts. Um, his baseball IQ was incredible. Um, but was the, the, the biggest standout with, with Henry was his work ethic. He just, uh, one of my former players said it best. The kid has no off switch. He still doesn't have an off switch and he worked harder than anybody. Let's talk about him in high school because, uh, look, let's be, be candid here. A lot of kids obviously have no off switch when it comes to working hard, but this kid has right. blessed with great physical skill and mental skill as well. Just how how dominant was Henry in high school by the time he was a yeah, junior or senior? Going back to what you said, I can agree with you 100%. A lot, of, a lot of kids have no off switch and they have that work ethic, but obviously when you combine that, with uh, with the talent that he had, yep, and the, this ultra level of competitiveness, it was you know the the perfect recipe for for what you get uh, when you finally end up when you finally <laughs> end up in this surreal experience like I was where he where he went one one, it was incredible. But again, he had he had all those characteristics, and obviously what he did was just continue to enhance them all. Did, did, uh, what is his biggest strength? Is his arm, his power? What would you say is his, is his biggest overall strength? Uh, it was definitely arm. Matt, we lose you again, I think. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, I, I'm not really quite sure what, what, what the concern is. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously we're talking with Matt Hillis, uh, the Fox Lane High School baseball coach. Uh, we're having some technical issues here. Um, you know, Ed, what, why don't we just go to a commercial break and see if we can get Matt back on the phone? Why don't we do that? Okay. We'll take a quick spot here, a couple of commercial messages, and hopefully we can resume our conversation with Matt Hillis, uh, who is the head baseball coach at Fox Lane High School and obviously was the, is the coach of Henry Davis, number one puck overall in this, uh, this week's uh, draft. All right, stay with me. We'll be back with Matt right after this. Sports Radio 1019 FM, the fan, WFAN, New York. 
Hey, back here on the Sports Edge. I'm sorry for all the technical issues we've had uh, in our conversation this morning with Matt Hillis from Fox Lane High School talking about uh, his former player, Henry Davis, and what it was like to, to coach Henry when he was in high school before he went on to star at Louisville and become the number one pick overall. Hey, Matt, I, I, let me ask you this. What, how, as I said earlier, I asked earlier, mm-hmm. how dominant a player was Henry when he was a senior in high school? Uh, in my well, he was section one player of the year. In my opinion, he was the hands down the best player in New York State. Yep. Um, you know, teams would obviously he had the rep, so so teams would roll in and for the most part uh, not even take a chance of running on him. And by that by that point, his hitting had improved so much that he was, you know, incredible power, gap to gap, just uh, a dominant hitter in the middle of our lineup. The arm strength was there. I heard you alluded to uh, his stolen bases uh, before. Yes. You know, he, he had speed. We could run him any time he was on base. So, uh, yeah, again, in my opinion, he was the most dominant player in New York State. And was he drafted out of high school? No, you know, they, they, they kind of backed off him a little bit because I think um, it was pretty obvious. And he was he was also upfront and honest with the folks that, you know, Louisville was, uh, was definitely going to happen. And as a result, I think most teams kind of kind of backed off. As a matter of fact, a good friend of mine is a scout, and you know he was basically saying like, "What do you think it's going to take?" And I think the number was pretty high, <laughs> and uh, I don't think uh, I don't think teams were ready to go to us uh, then. And like I said, the, the 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 best move was for him to go to Louisville, experience ACC, and again, things there as a freshman. By the time he was a sophomore, and obviously this year just, I mean, jumped off the page at you as uh, one of the best players in college baseball. Yeah, I mean, he obviously, obviously, you know, continued to improve, as you say, right up the ladder from the time he was a freshman to a sophomore, junior in high school, being, you know, play of the year as a senior. Then he went to mm-hmm. Louisville, big time baseball. Again, he improved year after year after year, culminating with being the number one pick overall by by the Pirates. Did, did you have a sense, or did he have a sense that the Pirates were going to take him? And how how, how much before the draft? <laughs> uh, yeah, he did actually an hour in advance uh, we met with him right around breakfast lunchtime that morning and uh yeah you could tell he had a little bit of inside information but he was still kind of stressed he wasn't talking about it yeah an hour an hour before he knew and again was sworn to secrecy and then just before the pirates went on the clock he looked uh, there's a really cool video actually on mlb.com he looked down the line at all of us and flashed the number one the number one <laughs> So we all knew. It was time so, to get out. It was time to get out the phones because we knew what was coming. So you guys knew just really a few minutes before the actual announcement. And you were all out in Denver uh, for, for yeah. all this. Yeah, right in the uh, Belco Theater, Major League Baseball game. They did a great job with the draft. Um, like I said, about five minutes before clock, before Rob came out and announced that the uh, draft was open, and we flashed the one sign. And uh, to, to say we were happy is an understatement. Now, he, is he already signed? Is he already off to, uh, to to pursue his pro career? So his mom sent me a text last night, and I believe the signing comes to taking batting practice with the Pirates at PNC. So I'm sure that's going to be another incredible experience. Wow. Um, yeah. I, again, just uh, as, as a former coach myself, uh, right. in terms of 
working with him as a catcher in high school did uh you know i know it's very very commonplace for high school coaches and even college coaches matt and we're talking with matt hills uh for for them to call the game you know to flash signs to the catcher to call each pitch did he do that in high did you was that was that henry do that in high school or did he work games on his own call the games on his own and how about in college do you know uh we called the game in high school yeah um you know we we think I, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of mix emotions when it comes to this, but we look for as a hitting instructor, as uh, you know, basically my main strength, I think it's kind of easy for me to see holes in the hitter swings from uh, my perspective. So as a result, we, we hope to pitches based on what it is that we're seeing. So uh, we call the pitches quite honestly in college. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know how much free, how much liberty he was given. Yep. But I would I would imagine it might have been a, a 50-50 situation in high school with the pitching coach and him working uh, together. Yeah, I mean, I just just for 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 listeners who may not be aware, once a kid gets to pro ball, uh, part of the whole learning process is for catchers to basically call the games, obviously in conjunction with the pitcher uh, who's working the game on the mound. But it's rare right. for for the the coaches from the dugout to be signaling uh, the pitch selection to the catcher. But um, I'm, I'm just curious as as how he learned along the way. And I gather he that Henry's a pretty humble kid. I mean, is I mean he's he knows he's really sort of climbed Mount Olympus here, but he's kept it all pretty much uh, in perspective, correct? 100%. Being super confident, which I think is obviously uh, a strength. And as I said before, I've never met anyone uh, more competitive, but he did. He kept it uh, close to the vest and he was he was humble throughout the process. Um, certainly not bragging about anything, um, but you know, there's no doubt this was his goal. 1-1 one, one was, was his goal, and we would even exchange text about it throughout the year so he always had these lofty 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 goals and they're no they're not even they're not going to end here um you know what you what you saw with the improvement in high school from freshman to senior year and then at louisville from freshman to junior year i think it's just the tip of the iceberg you're just going to continue to see this kid improve and improve and improve I mean, if, you know, Matt, we all have our goals in life, but it's it's rare, it's rare to say, well, my goal, I've worked hard, I have the talent, and I have the right uh, mental approach, and my goal has actually come true. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty impressive to say, yeah, I'm really hoping I'll be uh, you know, not only drafted, but you know, drafted in the first round, yeah, let's, let's go for being number one overall. That's pretty cool. He's, he's uh, always laser-focused on, you know, making his making his imprint and having others take notice but i mean he just he just outworks everybody you know he just I, that's why i just i just think pittsburgh made a brilliant pick and i i think they have a gem obviously i'm biased but um when they see this kid's work ethic combined with that talent uh they're going to be really really happy with what they have uh, are, are his parents athletic at all are they, are they have any kind of background in sports or baseball at all Mom was a swimmer, uh, dad's on rugby, and yeah, there's there's no doubt if you look at them, he came from good genes. I got it, I got it. Well, well, Matt, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I kid you all the time that back when you were a top uh, ball player yourself, <laughs> I tried very, very hard to recruit you to Mercy College, but uh, you ended up going to Iona, um, oh. and, and I, have to, I have to admit, judging from your track record as a high school coach and now with Henry Davis, 
being uh, number one, I mean, you've had quite quite a career, quite an impact on a lot of top baseball players. And, um, yeah, I mean, you really can't do better than that. Matt, I, I, I thank you so much for coming on this morning. It's a great story. Uh, I, I couldn't be happier for you and for, for Henry and the whole Fox Lane program, but it really is extraordinary. It's as simple as that. Yeah, you got it, Rick, and I appreciate it. And, uh, again, I just think you're going to continue to see great things from this kid and you know, he's going to, he's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. I, I'm, we're looking forward to seeing him progress up the ladder to the big leagues and hopefully he'll, he'll get to Pittsburgh very, very soon. Anyhow, Matt, thanks again. <laughs> and we'll talk to you down the road. All right. My pleasure. Thanks, Matt. That is Matt Hillis, uh, head coach at Fox Lane High School in Bedford, New York, who uh, whose former ball player Henry Davis was pe- selected number one overall, first pick in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft. He's a catcher out of the University of Louisville, uh, and we are excited and thrilled and hope to see what uh, when Henry gets to the big leagues very, very soon. All right, let me take a quick timeout. When I return, I have another baseball story I want to share with you. Stay with me. You know, uh, thinking about uh, Henry Davis uh, from Bedford, New York, uh, being the number one pick, I mean, last year, Aaron Sabato, another local slugger from Rybrook, uh, New York, and Aaron's out of UNC Chapel Hill. He was chosen in the first round by the Twins. I just think it's very, very impressive that local New York kids are being selected so high uh, in the MLB draft. Uh, and that's just great. By the way, friends, we're taking calls this morning as well, one 337 6666 In fact, let me tell you another story in scanning over the draft stories this past week. So it really is just a – baseball is such a cool – cool sport in, in, in so many ways, uh, and these stories that bubble up, I, I just find them personally fascinating. Let me tell you about a student at Yale University. Uh, this young man uh, is of Indian descent. His, his name is Rohan Handa, and he grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. He, he speaks three languages, English, Chinese, and Hindi. He plays the viola. He studies uh, political science and statistics and data science at Yale. Founded the U.S. chapter of an international charity organization called Kitab, which promotes childhood literacy and provides books to underprivileged kids around the world. And this is, you know, prototypical Yale student. He's also a left-handed pitcher on the Yale baseball team, and he's a control specialist. He's very good at what he does. He pinpoints his pitches. And he's been throwing in high school and college uh, in the low to mid-80s. So, you know, typical college pitcher uh, throwing in mid-80s. That's pretty good. It's been very effective. But, of course, he's hardly what's known or scattered as a flamethrower. And he's not been a particularly dominant pitcher up until now. Let me tell you what's going on. During the pandemic... Yale and the rest of the Ivy League basically didn't play its schedule for not one, but for two years. As we know, everything was shut down. Handa, during his time off, who was at home, he decided to see what he could do to improve his pitching mechanics. Well, he started with a company in North Carolina called Tread Athletics. That's T-R-E-A-D, Tread Athletics. It's Charlotte-based pitching performance uh, training service. And they work with him to tinker with his delivery and his mechanics in order to help him, you know, add a few more miles per hour to his fastball. But this is the kicker. Again, he was still in mid-80s when he started to work with Tread. 
suddenly his velocity began to go up and up and up. He was being clocked at 95 to 97 miles per hour. And, even better, he still maintained his pinpoint control. What happened was, this all happened fairly quickly. So a video from Tread, uh, Tread uh, Athletics, which was working with uh, Handa, they, they, put some, they put a video out online in March of this past year uh, of him pitching to some live batters, and he was throwing 95 on, on the radar gun. Suddenly, people began to notice, including scouts. And with the Yale baseball season, you know, not being around during 2021, uh, Handa's uh, advisors arranged for him to go uh, to the ACC baseball tournament, a championship game which was being held in Charlotte, his hometown, and have him throw a bullpen session early one morning in front of a bunch of scouts and evaluators in May. And sure enough, he was throwing about 95 on a, on a he was sitting at 95. <laughs> that led to Handa getting a chance to play this summer in the New England Collegiate Baseball League, where, quite frankly, lots of scouts found him and found his newfound pitching speed. And this past week, sure enough, Rohan Handa was drafted by the San Francisco Giants in the fifth round. All right, so let me just summarize all this. Here's a kid out of Yale who really hasn't pitched for two year, the last two years in college because of the pandemic, and basically went home and decided to figure out if there was any way he could somehow increase his pitching velocity, and he did. Now look, all athletes try to improve their, their game, their mechanics, all the time. That's what competitive athletes do. They try to up their game. And very often they do make improvements to their, to their game. But let's be honest, most of the time, these, these improvements are done in only very small increments. So if a kid's throwing 84 or 85 miles per hour, and they work on their mechanics and look at their video and so on and so forth, maybe they can add another mile per hour or two miles per hour. So they go from, let's say, throwing 85 to 87. With this kid, he added anywhere from 10 to 12 miles per hour to his velocity. And he did so in a very short period of time. I mean, that, that to me is extraordinary. And I, I want to get your thoughts about this because it just seems, I don't know. I mean, one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. By the way, I want to point out, by the way, just FYI, that, um, that this the Handa story, he's not the first ball player of Indian ancestry to play pro ball. You might recall that about uh, 10 years ago, the Pirates uh, signed a couple of cricket players, top cricket players from India, uh, to pro baseball contracts, but neither one of them had really played baseball before, and they both sort of flamed out relatively quickly. In fact, believe it or not, I think one of those guys, one of those original Indian sign, uh, sign, sign ball players, ended up being a pro wrestler. But anyway, this whole thing with Rohan Handa, when I read it, I, I, it sort of sounded like George Plimpton's uh, fictitious pitcher uh, named Sid Finch. For those of you who recall that, that classic Sports Illustrated story by George Plimpton, uh, Finch was this pitcher who threw bullets, and it was very, very uh, complicated, but it was a great, great prospect. In any event, I, I just, this kid, although, is for real, and, and uh, the Giants obviously feel the same way, uh, and he's going, I believe, he's going to report, I believe, to AA with, uh, with San Francisco, and you know, if he's really throwing with that kind of velocity and that kind of pinpoint control, and we know he's a smart kid, I mean, we'll just see how, how this all plays out. But it, it's going to be extraordinary. All right, let's, let's, um, 
Let's take some calls. Let's go to Ed Ward over in Jersey. Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How you doing? I'm well. How are you, Ed? What do you think about these stories? Uh, well, it's interesting. Before I talk about that, yeah, I remembered when Willie Banks got drafted in 1987. Willie okay, Banks, uh, yes, yes, of course. A uh, matter of fact, he played for legendary high school coach Mike Hogan. Yes. 1987, he was a free pick overall. Now, here's the crazy part. The day he got drafted, I umpired his high school semifinal game, and all the TV cameras were here and all that. Yep. Guess what his bonus was back then? I. It was $160,000 as the number three pick. And what that year was it? Was 87? What year? 1987, his bonus was. Tiny Butters has the number three pick in the country with 160,000. Okay. Compared to what it is today, it's amazing. Yeah, I think Henry but, Davis, I think the, the I think I read somewhere online that uh, he's going to sign or that the number that the Pirates are offering or, or they're allowed to offer uh, under MLB restrictions is $8.4 million. That's pretty good payday for signing a name. So it, It's amazing how, how it has changed in you know, almost 35 years. But getting back to this um, – the story about the uh, Indi- the Indian pitcher. Um, yes. There's a lot of these pitching farms or pitching factories all over the country. And as you can see, Rick, MLB, they're all worried about the numbers, going hard, throwing at. But my, my thing is that congratulations to the young man. But what about the pitchers that throw maybe in the mid-80s, can pitch in college, can pitch in Division One that don't have a chance of getting drafted because they don't have the metrics and all that stuff. Correct. And this this is the part of the game that I don't like about baseball anymore. A kid that has somebody pitch and knows how to pitch or even play the game, but because they don't have certain metrics, they're not even going to be considered to play. And that, that, that's running the game. And you know well, what Ed, we coach. Go ahead, Rick. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, there's no question these days the way baseball and analytics and metrics are set up today uh, you, the scouts, have been basically instructed that we're looking for kids who throw high max uh, anywhere over 90 miles per hour in the hope that they can add a couple of other, uh, you know, uh, some more speed to their, their pitches. And if they're throwing 95, they really become, uh, you know, right there locked in on the radar screen of scouts. The different, and I hear what you're saying. I mean, there's a lot of kids out there who throw mid-80s who have great control uh, and have great, uh, you know, competitive strain. But the way it is today in pro baseball, that's not going to cut it in terms of getting a contract. This kid obviously decided, okay, maybe I can do something to, you know, improve my, my velocity. He already has great control. I mean, that that's the best part. And then when he started to develop whatever he did with his mechanics and delivery, not only did he actually jump up his velocity, but he also maintains his control and is, has great command of his of his fastball and his slider and everything else. That's pretty unique. And, I, you know, Ed, you've been around baseball a long time. You, you, you don't see kids normally add that kind of, that kind of uh, added, added velocity to their fastball in a matter of months. Oh, I agree with you on that. But all these pitching factories or pitching farms, whatever they're called now, yep. they're all getting all these kids' numbers jacked up to, like you know, like you said, almost 13 miles an hour. So evidently these pitching farms do work. And uh, the way the game of baseball's changed, if people can afford sending their sons to, to these uh, pitching factories or pitching farms, that's because they they want to see hopefully get the opportunity to play Major League Baseball. You might as well take advantage of the opportunity. Well, as I said, I, I mean, let's be very very honest about this. Uh, the 
everybody goes in with the dream and the hope. And I do not know Tread Athletics in Charlotte, North Carolina, but clearly they've had great success uh, working with Rohan Handa. But we all know that um, you know kids have dreams. Uh, the reality is that uh, they, they work hard, they try to make the adjustments, they study the uh, the video, and so on and so forth. But many times they do not see the kind of results that they're hoping for. They basically are, are limited by their physical uh, abilities, and they stay around 85 or whatever they top out at in terms of velocity. So I don't want to mislead parents or, or coaches or anything else. Uh, you know, this is how it is. This is an extraordinary set of circumstances that this this kid, a junior out of Yale, somehow was able to find a way to improve his his uh, his standing as a, and velocity, uh, and yet maintain his control. It, it's a pretty pretty impressive, unusual kind of story. And honestly, Ed, this is this is what baseball is such a great sport. I mean, it, these kind of stories are just make you feel good because wow, this is amazing. It's as simple as that, you know. Well, you know, you know, one thing I want to talk about, and I want to say congratulations. To a boy at Pittsburgh University Harper, he played with my nephew there, a boy named Nick Domkowski. Yep. Two-time pitcher a year in the American East Conference. He's basically an 85 to 88 type of pitcher, occasional top 90. And, you know, he, he, the kid knows how to pitch. He was fortunately got drafted by the uh, – or signed, he signed a free agent contract with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's the type of kid who, 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 who knows how to pitch. Um, you know, he reminds me of Tommy John. Yeah. He like that. So I like, and he has the ability to be that type of player that could possibly move up the ladder. And he wasn't a kid that had an overpowering fastball and all that stuff. And, well, you know, it was above average, but it wasn't like the numbers that MLB wants. So I hope he gets an opportunity, and I hope he moves up the ladder also. I do too. Ed, let me, let me move on. Thank you as always for the call. Appreciate it. Take care. Welcome back to uh, Rick Wolf's uh, Sports Edge. Uh, don't forget Richard Neer. He follows me at 9 o'clock this morning. And uh, just a reminder, the AskCoachWolf.com website, uh, that's currently being upgraded. It's th- you can still access uh, and read all my various uh, blogs and opinions on the AskCoachWolf.com website now, but uh, we are upgrading it, and I do expect that will be relaunched uh, sometime uh, the next few weeks. It's meant to be easier to navigate, and if you want to contact me as well, it should be much easier. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at hashtag AskCoachWolf. Uh, but I, uh, I want to move on from baseball a little bit and talk about our discussion last week about the NCAA and the NIL deals with student-athletes. Uh, and my thanks again to, uh, to Steve Callis and to Noah Savage for their terrific insights and analysis. They made several points and observations that I really gave some serious uh, deliberation to. For starters, this is basically, we all sort of know this, this is all going to mark the end of the NCAA and its powers. Uh, but I also am curious as to how this new, uh, this new world, brave new world of NIL, how that's going to affect uh, Division Two and Division Three athletes, the athletes who, for the most part, are not on athletic scholarships. Of course, there's no scholarships at all for sports in D3. And they really could use some extra money each month to help pay their bills. Um, I mean, you can almost make a case that non-scholarship athletes are the most deserving of these kinds of NIL deals. And, and of course, along those lines, which I discussed briefly with, uh, with Steve and with Noah, 
What about high school athletes? They are not governed by the NCAA, but traditionally high school athletes have, have not wanted to, to jeopardize their amateur status by doing any kind of endorsement deals. And I assume, I would just naturally assume that we're going to see or begin to see high school star athletes uh, follow quickly in line with college athletes in terms of doing NIL deals with, you know, wherever they live in their local community. I mean, it's is that is that a concern to you? Is that is that going to be a problem? I mean, if a kid is uh, high school is a star quarterback or a star point guard or wherever he is, star pitcher is is that kid uh, you know going to do deals for local pizzerias or car dealerships? I I don't know. Is that allowed? I guess it's going to be up to uh, the National Federation of High Schools to put out some sort of statement. Um, but again, the National Federation of High Schools that's not really a governing body. I believe this will be determined by local school boards as to whether or not they want kids, high school athletes, to be doing sponsorship deals or autograph signings for money, whatever it might be. one 337 I'm curious to get your thoughts about this. And there was a new development in NIL this past week that may have far-reaching impact regarding the media and college athletes. Uh, I, I saw an article the other day where a local real estate firm in Texas just announced that they are going to pay two current Texas A&M football players $10,000 each to basically do exclusive interviews with these two players. One's a running back, the other's a safety, during the upcoming season. In other words, this means that the sponsor, this real estate firm, is buying exclusivity from these two athletes for their thoughts and comments and, and input uh, during the course of the football season. Now, if I were in the media and my job was to cover Texas A&M football, I don't think I'd be too happy with this kind of new situation. I mean, nor would I be happy about it if I were Texas A&M football. Because let's face it, sports media, like all media, they don't like to be shut out from interviews with, with, uh, with athletes. Uh, and media, you know, quality media doesn't pay athletes to interview them. So uh, is, there, is there something I'm missing in all this? Is there, is there, does that make sense to – is this a concern if, if all of a sudden college athletes say to basically a sports writer who's covering their games, say, yeah, I'll be glad to talk to you, but you understand I have a $10,000 deal in place uh, to only talk exclusively uh, on my uh, – with interviews that are sponsored by this, this local real estate firm. Um, that would be something I think be a little bit troubling and gets into a gray area. In fact, I think I read in this article that Texas A&M had not really made a statement or a comment about this deal. But again, it all falls under the umbrella of NIL. These two uh, entrepreneurial football players more than happy to get $10,000 basically just to talk uh, on behalf with the local real estate firm. Um, again, this is, again, we know we're in a brave new world of NIL, but is this something that we should really be seriously concerned about? I mean, is, is there another point of this that I'm missing? Uh, I, I, again, it seems to me that the rich and powerful colleges just get richer and stronger and being able to recruit top athletes and promise them big NIL deals. Or maybe you feel that, no, this is much ado about nothing, that, you know, having college athletes have the ability to earn some cash or money on the side for their 
for their uh, name, likeness, and image, that's not a big deal. And once all this hoopla, you know, sort of fades away into uh, into next uh, fall when, when schools open up and are playing intercollegiate sports again, maybe nobody cares. I mean, I, I just sort of feel this is going to be a big frenzy about this, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it won't make much of a difference. What, what, do, you, what do you think? I mean, I... I do think this is just an absolutely landmark situation in terms of, of uh, college sports, and again, maybe high school sports as well. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let me know what you think about this, because, you know, I, I just, I just don't know uh, what is going to take place. I, 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 I think that college coaches, college athletic directors, college presidents, uh, a lot of them are trying to figure out what the heck is going on and what's going to happen next. All right, let's take some thoughts and comments about this. Let's go over to uh, New Jersey where Larry uh, is standing by. Larry, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. Yes, Larry. Uh, in, t- in, I believe it was today's Bergen Record or USA Today, there was an article yep. about the Florida State pitcher. Uh, I think her last name was Sander Cook, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, you know, after being in the College World Series, you know, softball, is, you know, there's very little money to begin with in, in the sport, that she went home and was able to advertise herself giving pitching lessons as the Florida State pitcher who, you know, just uh, was in the College World Series and the article said she sold out her month of lessons in, you know, a matter of minutes. Before <laughs> she was able to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think it's great for these kids. More, you know, more so for the lower tier sports, you know, which you don't read about. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's great for the sport and great for the kids. You know, not the, you know, star basketball player at Michigan State or something that um, these young ladies are, you know, going to be able to make a, you know, a few bucks. Well, Larry, you know, it's funny you say this because at the end of last week's show, I, I, I made a point, uh, a concerted point to say, if nothing else, this whole new NIL on the positive side is going to educate kids in college to become much more financially literate, more entrepreneurial, and, and to realize that maybe if they uh, sit down and think, through what, how they can capitalize on their fame uh, and notoriety as college athletes, maybe that can lead to ways of, of making more money uh, to help pay their bills. And as you said, this kid you know, from Florida State said, you know what, I just went to the College World Series at Florida State. I'm a pretty good softball pitcher. Why don't I see test the waters to see if anybody out there would be interested in having uh, me teach them or give them some instruction as a softball pitcher? And, yeah, <laughs> as you said, apparently this is really going to pay off from her. Yeah, and I, you know, like I said, I, I, I think it's important for, you know, the lower tier, you know, athletes and sports that, uh, you know, other girls, listen, uh, you know, just the fact that they're, you know, young ladies that are being taught by someone that pitched in the College World Series is just great for the sport. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's uh, again, this is a positive development because up until now, this kid could not have done that. Uh, it would have been against the NCAA rules. Uh, she would have been, she would have jeopardized her, her college scholarship at Florida State. And quite frankly, she would be in a big, uh, a lot of trouble. But now it's a whole new world, a whole new uh, horizon out there for her. And yeah, I'm, I'm uh, she said, we should be happy for it that she's taken advantage of this. And the response has been very positive, uh, and I'm sure we're going to see other 
kids in other sports uh, are going to probably follow in her footsteps and say, well, if she can do this and she's gotten a pretty good response, why don't I do the same thing? Whether it's, I don't know, soccer, uh, lacrosse, uh, you know, gymnastics, whatever it might be, whatever sport the kids play, say, hey, I can, I'm good at that, this particular sport and I can help teach you or coach you or whatever as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, anyhow, hey, Larry, thank you for bringing this to my attention. This is a good story. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's go to uh, the Bronx. Uh, Ronnie, good morning. You're next up on the fan. Hey, Rick. How are you doing today? Good. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I played basketball in college, um, you know, at the Division One level. And the biggest thing I think is a lot of non-athletes kind of blew the whole uh, play-for-pay kind of deal out of proportion, in my opinion. You know, I think it's great for the athletes. Look, you can make money on your likeness, hopefully educate them about credit, things along those lines. But mm-hmm. it's not like we didn't have it good. You know, I received the free education. Right. People forget we received Pell Grants, right? I lived in a much nicer apartment when I was playing basketball in college than where I'm living right now. <laughs> so at the end of the day, these guys, they, they I feel like a lot of non-athletes blew this out of proportion. They made it political to, uh, to an extent, but I'm happy for the guys. I hope they're able to capitalize off of it and just continue, you know, working on themselves and set them up a bit better financially after school. Well, Ron, let me ask you this. How, how long ago were you in college? Uh, 15 years ago. Okay, so obviously Pell Grants, uh, you know, were very much, uh, and I don't know if they're still as as, uh, impactful as they are today as they were then, but clearly a lot of athletes uh, relied upon those Pell Grants, and obviously regular students as well, in order to afford to go to college. Uh, But let's be honest here. I mean, this is, if you could have made some extra cash as uh, as a basketball player when you're in college by doing whatever, autograph signings, coaching clinics, whatever it might have been, I would think you you would probably want to do that, right? No, for sure. I mean, I, I train kids on the side, things along those lines. Um, so I did make some money in that regard. But I just think a lot of the sentiment that we're mistreated, that we're overworked, just at the time, I feel like it's just, it was just way – it's still blown – Especially nowadays, oh, I, nowadays I, it's even easier for these guys. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I think the genesis of all this, Ronnie, is more along the lines that the college athletes today are looking at the salaries of their coaches and assistant coaches and, and the you know how much money these guys are and women at the hop, top level are earning. Uh, and the, the athletes are saying, well, okay, I get a full scholarship. I get that. Right. Uh, I'm, that's cool. And I'm grateful for having a, a, an athletic scholarship for basketball or football, but that doesn't that, that pales in comparison to the kind of uh, money that these coaches are earning, uh, primarily thanks to uh, to TV contracts and and so on and so forth. I think that's, sure. been, that's been sort of the whole thing here in terms of 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 college athletes. And now they're saying, well, if, if the coaches not only are earning big salaries you know, for coaching, but they're also allowed to do endorsement deals or do uh, personal signings or whatever. Why can't we do that? So I hear what you're saying. I, I, it wasn't, it isn't all that bad that kids aren't, are, you know, those gifted athletes at the, the uh, who get college scholarships. But for the most part, I think we're seeing that the, there's a, just a rebellion of, of sorts saying we want to get part of the pie as well. After all, we don't get any of that revenue on the back end from the NCAA. Uh, I mean, like, you know, like a Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, I think it was reported he makes $4.5 million a year. But, you know, it oh, doesn't, yeah. doesn't really filter he, down to the athletes. Uh, but maybe that will change as these things move along. So. He, he makes the big bucks. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing that we have to remember is, is you know, these guys, these guys progress is, you know, you got to keep the fo- you gotta focus at the end of the day. 
playing for your school, use it as a stepping stone. I mean, there's so many kids that I remember in school when I was there that they didn't have scholarships. They were paying everything on their own. They're working a job. I understand that we're playing the sport, but at the end of the day, I still think, you know, we, we got to just continue uh, to understand what's at, what's at stake here. And I'd hate to see these kids get so distracted to the point where, you know, the NCAA kind of just gets abolished. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying there's other avenues that we could go down. Kids are going overseas nowadays. I think football is the only sport where it's going to be a tough transition for kids to really find uh, or just establishments creating a minor league, per, per se. I think basketball is going to happen sooner or later. I think the G well, League is going to take that step, but football is going to be impossible. Yeah, we already know. And, Ronnie, thank, thank you for your, your thoughts this morning. I appreciate it. Yeah, we already know, that obviously, with uh, there are opportunities for high school seniors uh, who are now seriously considered, particularly in basketball, saying, well, I'm not going to go to college. I'm just going to go sign with the, you know, a G League or go overseas, whatever it might be. But they're already considering these possibilities. And again, only time will tell what will happen in terms of these NIL deals. And again, I don't know what's going to take place at Texas A&M. I mean, is that school, is that football program going to allow their football players who are to cut a deal? They get paid $10,000 for exclusivity uh, with a local real estate firm. Is that, that going to work so the media is not allowed to talk to these kids until after they first talk to, to the real estate people? I, I, I don't know how that works out. That seems to be an unusual sort of test case. Anyhow, it's here to stay. I don't think there are going to be some modifications to be made for sure, but we're not going to go back to a situation where the college athletes aren't allowed to, to make a few bucks. All right. Anyhow, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Ed Arzuman. He's terrific. Please stick around for Richard Neer. He's up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.